Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode, or actually our very first episode of Build with Gen Z. My name is Rand and I'm very excited to be your host for today. Today we have a very, very awesome guest, one of my favorite people. Everybody, welcome Joshua. Hi Joshua, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. I'm honored to be the first guest and thank you for the <laughs> kind words. I'm very happy to, to have you here. I'm actually very excited uh, to, to show people what you're working on. Uh, but before we dive deep into that, I want to do a quick fire round of questions, ask you a couple of questions just so the audience can get to know you a little bit better on a personal note. Um, so are you ready for the, uh, for the fire round? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Okay. How old are you? 23. Where are you from? Miami, Florida. Where did you go to school? University of Chicago. What did you study? Computer science. What's your favorite, favorite thing to do on a weekend? Bouldering. Nice. <laughs> it's a new um, hobby. <laughs> Pandemic hobby. Nice. What is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, when people exaggerate everything. When people exaggerate really often. You're in the wrong industry. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite video game? Uh, Halo. Favorite movie? Kill Bill. Favorite podcast? Indie Hackers. <laughs> no, no, no. I take it back. I love Indie Hackers, but Reply All has a special place in my heart. <laughs> nice. Okay, so now let's get to know you a little bit better in your business. So for the past couple of weeks, you've went viral on Reddit, on Twitter. Everybody's talking about WeWatch. Tell me about WeWatch. What is it? <laughs> How did you come up with it? Tell me everything about it. Yeah, so I'll tell you what it is. WeWatch is a way for people to find what movies to watch together. And this problem was really what me and my friends go through and me and my partner, where I'll be like, do you want to watch this? And my girlfriend's like, no, but how about this? And I'm like, no. And I, I'm like, <laughs> damn, I wish we could like narrow down and see what we both want to watch. And I have the same problem with my friend groups and, you know, the more people, the harder it becomes. And honestly, it's not an original idea. I saw a tweet. Um, I forget who made it, <laughs> but it's, it's gone passed around for years where she says, why don't, why doesn't someone make an app where we swipe on movies on Netflix? And when we swipe right, when you both swipe right on the same movie, it's going to show us that we've matched on that movie and it'll recommend that we watch it. And I'm like, that would solve my problem. <laughs> and I've, I've never made a mobile app before. So let me give this a shot. And I did not intend for it to become popular. Um, you know, I do want to pursue entrepreneurship. So I was like, oh, this will just help me garner my skills, but it has very quickly evolved into something where I want to take it further and is becoming very profitable. <laughs> Don't you love it when people just create products and then it goes viral? <laughs> See, there, are, there are thousands of entrepreneurs trying to get their products and then you're like, yeah, I don't intend for it to be popular, but what it happened <laughs> you're so I'm very lucky oh thank you're you I so appreciate humble it. about it awesome what how long did it take you to build it what was that 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 product lifespan or life cycle what did it look like yeah so I've been building things for a really long time I've been coding coding for a long time probably about five years now maybe six um and so I have good experience building things quickly so the process took me about two or three weeks to get the initial version. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it worked. It did exactly what it promised it would do. 
Um, and the real long part was getting my store, my, my app onto the Google Play Store and getting it onto Apple's App Store because they just have really strict requirements, mm-hmm. which, you know, ends up being good that they force you to, like, take screenshots of a certain dimension. And mm-hmm. they're trying to help you out. But for me, as someone who just builds, I was like, oh, this takes <laughs> so long. Um, so it took me about a month and a half to get my app out there. So I see a lot of comments from more specifically Gen Z builders who are very frustrated with that same problem. They they go on you know the Apple store or Google Play and they want to launch their products. And then suddenly there's another list of requirements that they need to meet. So so tell me a little bit about how you approach that and what is your biggest advice for somebody who's trying to launch a product onto the app store? Yeah. Honestly, how I did it is maybe not the best way. I did the bare minimum to just get it up there. And I didn't start marketing it um, because I knew there were improvements to be made. Mm -hmm. So I would say do the exact bare minimum. And then later on, you will find that there are a lot of tools out there um, that will automate this process for you. Mm -hmm. And I've gone, I've started the process of almost completely automating it so that I never have to interact with the app store again. Um, nice. I'm, I'm not completely there yet because if I want to add a new feature, I still have to take my screenshots on every device and then upload it. But the actual process of getting the new feature out to people is becoming automated. Um, so there are a lot of tools out there depending on what you make your app with. But I'd say minimum first and then look into tools because they're really going to help you and they're going to save you a lot of time. Did you create a terms and conditions sheet or did you just get a outline? Oh, yeah, I audit, I found a tool. It's mm-hmm. uh has like a thousand stars on GitHub that will generate. It'll ask you some questions and generate one for you. Nice. And what I, was that tool's name? Do you know it? Because I, I know a lot of people ask about second. that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's I feel like that's one of the biggest questions I always see. How do you get the terms and conditions requirements or document ready without paying a lawyer thousands of dollars in fees to 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 write it up for you? Yeah, yeah. So it's called App Privacy Policy Generator. It's on right. GitHub. There's a website. I just linked it. And it's a great tool. People Perfect. use it. I mean, you know, they put a little disclaimer that Mm-hmm. If if you screw it up, it's not on them. Um, <laughs> the liability is not on them. But you know yeah. what? I will link the link in the show notes just so everybody has access to it. And again, if you're listening, you want to create a very easy terms and conditions sheet without actually paying a lawyer. This is a very good tool for Super you. Super easy. It, and it generates my privacy policy too. It does nice. both in one. So Very, very cool. Tool. I should, uh, I should ask them to sponsor me <laughs> like free advertisements right now. Um, what was your biggest fuck up? Oh, I have so many. Jeez. Um, I think, so my app is a social app. Mm-hmm. It, it does not work if you do not have friends on it. It doesn't mm-hmm. work if you don't invite your friends. Mm-hmm. And I just left all aspects of that out in the very beginning, just because you know, I was using it for me and my girlfriend, me and my friend. So I was like, ah, I'll just explain to them. But mm-hmm. then I really wish I was prepared for when it went viral because I got hundreds and hundreds of emails of like, how do I add my friend? Or like, I wish there was an invite link. And I'm like, damn, I really stunted my growth from mm-hmm. that beginning virality. So I would say 
getting those social features in ASAP was my biggest, not getting them in ASAP was my biggest mistake. And you did, you did have a thread on the six features that you should consider when building a BTC, B2C MVP. Um, and you said one of those things is choosing a font, um, add an invite friends slash share button, uh, prompt users for feedback, be descriptive, add an onboarding process and implement a one-click login. So why a font? I, that, that, I feel like all of them were amazing points, but then I was like, as a designer, I know that fonts are important and I always have like a list of fonts. It's, that's the first thing I do when I start my design. But why was that important for you as an MVP? Yeah, so I just had the default Android fonts or if you're on Apple, the Apple fonts. And it was fine, but I took the two seconds that it took to just choose a font and put it in. Mm-hmm. And my entire app looked 10 times better. And so I just think the value that you got, that I got from very little work mm-hmm. is definitely worth it. And if it took that little, I should have just done it from the beginning. And I will do it from the beginning for anything else I ever make. That's, yeah, that, that's pretty important. I think a lot of, a lot of devs who try to build MVPs, they always forget about the design element and they don't overthink the design element, even though it's very important. So my ne- next question is, how did you familiarize yourself with that design element with UX and UI? And I've I've been on your app. It's actually pretty fucking awesome. Like the designs that you've done, it's actually pretty cool for someone who does not um, give themselves enough credit for the UX and UI. So how did you learn that? What tools did you use? Any tips and tricks for devs who are not, who don't consider themselves designers? Yeah, uh, I guess I don't give myself enough credit because I do have my specialization in human computer interaction, which Mm -hmm. is a lot of UX and how do we make our products in a way that is as easy as possible for the user. So I guess I do have some training. At the same time, I did not use Figma. I did not like really? people keep, yeah, people keep asking me how did you like you know go about how it's gonna look? And I was like, I just started coding it and I would just tweak it as I went. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's not for <laughs> everyone. I, I I just don't know how to use any of those tools and I haven't taken the time to learn. I'm like, eh, I don't really need it right now. Um, but like I'm also, trying to figure out, are you just like a, like a, like a, like a genius or <laughs> I have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, well, something else I do is I just study apps that do the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Like the most mundane things, like it, this is hard to explain without seeing it, but do you know how sometimes there are tab bars where you can also swipe on the screen to get to mm-hmm. the next tab? Yeah. I was like, oh damn, this is really cool. And I was looking at all the apps I used and I'm like, they all do this. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, obviously I have to do this. And so there's a lot of just using other tools and not just using them, but really thinking about what you're taking for granted. Like mm-hmm. I never really thought about, oh, I can swipe or I can tap on this, mm-hmm. but someone put a lot of work into that and it paid off. Um, so really studying the things that you like to use and trying to figure out why you like to use them. Yeah. I noticed as soon as I got into UX and UI design, Every single time I'm on an app or any platform, now I just look at every single detail and I appreciate the designer for every single detail that they put in. Even this the swipe mechanism and how easy and yeah. how how intuitive it is. I'm like, that's 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 yeah. very difficult. Yeah, and and to add to that, these are like industry standard things. Like 
I would show my friends my app and there would be times where they're trying to swipe and it's just not there because I, I didn't implement it and every other app has it. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, okay, I got to like do what everyone else is doing because that's like the language that we've created to communicate our products to people. Mm-hmm. When did you go viral and what was that point where you realized, holy shit, this is blowing up? <laughs> yeah, so I went like, I had like a mini viral bump um, mm-hmm. at where I got my first thousand users and that was about two and a half months ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, I made an article. I sh- shared it to Hacker News. It reached the front page. It mm-hmm. did really well. I got a lot of feedback. Uh, some people were mean, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hacker News is a mean audience, but <laughs> you know they give Very you the critical. feedback you need. Yeah, um, and that was fine. But they weren't really my target audience. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe there's some overlap, but most of the people are that saw this are like, okay, that's cool. You built an app. Um, And then two weeks later, I made a lot of improvements based off the feedback I got. Mm -hmm. And then I was like using my app and actually enjoying using it. And I would open it when I'm bored and I'm like, okay, I think this is good now. Um, (laughs) And so (laughs) I was like, so people have been reaching out to me and asking, how do I find my target audience? I don't have a good answer. For me, it was really easy. It's like, if you like movies, you have this problem. I know that for a fact. You know what's funny? What? That is the, every single investor, every single business strategist, every professor has always told me that is like the one thing you don't do. <laughs> you do not get like a general audience and just yeah. assume that everyone in that general audience is your audience, right? Like for example, okay. for me, yeah. my audience is podcasters, right? or uh, advertisers, but still mm-hmm. I cannot assume that every single podcaster and advertiser is my audience. And so they, mm-hmm. they make us like do this, this very strategic funnel um, of, and we call that divergent conversion strategy. Gotcha. Yeah, and we're, we're essentially like you funnel down and you try to get to the bottom of who are your, like who are the, the, the customers or users that their life almost depends on your product. Like they need your product, right? <laughs> and that's that's how we start. And then we build back up. And that's how like usually, that's how we learn scalable models. Mm-hmm. But it's it's very interesting that you just thought it was like, yeah, everybody who who likes movies or wants to find movies is, is my target audience. The, the more I talk to you, the more I'm like, is this guy really a genius? Like, <laughs> did, did we just... <laughs> Did we just discover somebody who has like, you know, the, 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 the undiscovered genius? Um, oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, um, I, this is consistent because I had this problem in college. This is kind of off topic, but I had this problem ahead. in college where this professor that I really looked up to and I did research with him and I mentored for him. He, he was my mentor and mm-hmm. he would tell me, you have to narrow it down more. And I was working mm-hmm. on some project and I was like, oh, it's for students. He's like, no, you got you got to narrow it down more. I'm like, it's for students who do debate. He's like, <laughs> like students who do debate in Chicago. And still, even that wasn't enough. Yeah, anymore. I was never ended. So <laughs> yeah. um, how many hours do you sleep at night? And how many oh. hours do you put into your startup? Because there's this um, stigma and idea that if you start a startup, it's it's your like 5 a.m. to your 10 p.m. almost hustle. Um, so how much hour, how many hours do you actually put in? Okay. I am a huge proponent of sleep. I (laughs) think everyone should get enough sleep. Um, 
And I recommend a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's really good and it makes me scared. So <laughs> my 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 boyfriend, he like put that book in my face and he's like, You read it. You read it now and you learn because I'm terrible with sleep. I'm one of the absolute worst worst with sleeps and it always ends up messing up my schedule. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you got to read this book. You got to read this book every single time. But yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I do my best to get at least eight hours. Um, I don't always do it. And I also try not to sleep before I'm tired. Like Mm -hmm. I just let myself be tired and knock out whether that's Mm -hmm. like 11 p.m. or like 2 a.m. and I try to wake up without an alarm whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's hard because of work if I have meetings in the morning but you know I'm working remotely so I'll sleep in and put in extra hours. Um, And how much work do I actually put into my app? Um, I get hyper fixated so there will be days where I'll spend like eight hours on it but then there are other days where I'll just not work on it for a few days. Um, So I say if I averaged it out, I'm probably putting in like one to two hours a day uh, throughout the week. Um, Yeah, and I take the weekends off sometimes. (laughs) So probably like 10 10 to 12. No, every single person I've, I've, I've talked to who's looking into entrepreneurship, their biggest fear is the amount of hours they have to put in. And when I'm building my startup, I also notice the same time where, you know, I actually have a team who helps me and it's mm-hmm. like the work is not all on me and I'm like Jesus Christ sometimes I just have time and I'm like mm-hmm. I never thought I'd just have time you know and sometimes on the weekends I go out and I'm like yeah am I doing absolutely. something wrong I feel I yes. feel I feel this guilt yes. because everybody tells me you should be spending the weekends on like building your startup you should be spending every single waking moment on your business or it's not gonna work and I understand the, the logic behind it and it I'm, makes me feel like guilty. I'm like, am I not doing enough? I'm so anti that culture because mm-hmm. I have seen people who claimed uh, my school is a nerdy school and there were people who were in the library all day mm-hmm. and I would see them and mm-hmm. they're not actually working that entire time because mm-hmm. it's just not realistic. Like they'll spend hours scrolling and like, you know, procrastinating or figuring out what they're what they should be doing when like they don't actually have to put in all that work and if they just took a break mm-hmm. they would feel more refreshed and get just as much done mm-hmm. so so are yeah. you a believer of like one to two hours or maybe three hours of very hyper focused productive work and then taking the rest of the day or how, oh. how do you do your work absolutely uh so i think i guess the caveat is that you do have to be efficient with your time so yes mm-hmm being hyper-focused, knowing what you have to do. And, you know, I mess this up sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to work on it, but I don't know what, and then I'll just waste some time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I try my best to set a goal, like I'm going to add this new feature Mm -hmm. and I'm going to finish it in the session and then I'll finish it in an hour or two. And if I've completed that goal, I'll step off. That's that's awesome. That's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I I think our our nine-to-five culture or mindset – tells us that we have to work eight hours a day and if we work any less we're not doing enough and that's something that I'm starting to try and unlearn where mm-hmm. it, sometimes a productive three-hour session is more important than an eight-hour you know okay day or you you can answer or not answer this question 
Um, but what do you think of Paul Graham's constant tweeting of his children? Oh my God, you've seen me tweet about that. Huh? Yes. <laughs> he is like, look, I don't know. Paul Graham's is idealized in, in, you know, in the entrepreneurship world. Um, I, but it seems like a lot of people are commenting on his recent tweets of his children. I know Paul Graham's going to listen to this, so I'm sorry if I offend you. <laughs> um, but I'm honored that you think he's going to listen to this. <laughs> I, I just think he's like, I don't know, he's making a show out of his children and like his children are sh trying to share things with him. And he's like, oh, ha, ha, this is a great tweet, great content. <laughs> and I don't know, like sometimes it's funny. I understand if you're telling a funny story, but it's mm -hmm. like every other tweet. I'm like, God damn, man, are you just sitting there with a typewriter next to your kids, like, <laughs> poking them until they say something? So, <laughs> yeah. It almost reminds me of the YouTubers who use their kids as as like their, the, you know, the yes. highlight of the show. Um, not to mention, but the Ace family, like that's that's where it reminds me of. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you put that much more better than I would. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I saw that you had a very big win last week. Um, you made $16,000 <laughs> yeah. up the market. Um, I didn't know you traded or you, you invested to... Everything I want to know everything. What did you? <laughs> yeah. What did you trade? When did you start? Is this like a regular thing for you? Was it just like a one-time win? What are you gonna do with the money? So in last December, mm -hmm. I started. This is my first time having an income and having enough money to like save up since you know I graduated. Nice. I graduated college last year, um, and so I put a thousand dollars in. And, you know, I contribute to my 401k, I contribute mm -hmm. to my IRA, mm -hmm. and those are like safe investments. And then mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I'm going to get a thousand dollars and I'm never going to put any more money into this and I'm going to gamble as hard as I can. Nice. And I did. And then, you know, GameStop happened back in January and mm -hmm. all those things happened. And I was a follower of Wall Street Bets for mm -hmm. years Me too. before this happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll get in. And then. I was able to grow that 1K to about 15K. Nice. Uh, yeah, really lucky. Just trading options. I, did you do GameStop or did you do AMC? I did. I did both. I. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I sold way too early though. I could if if I had stayed in AMC, I had like two dollar calls mm -hmm. for, that were going to expire in 2022, and they cost me like. 50 bucks each and I, I sold them but if I had sold them last week my like $200 investment would have been like 20,000 cool. so yeah some missed opportunities there but you know but that's pretty awesome so are you gonna pay wait, your student can, wait can I can I keep telling you because yeah 15k I made that 15k a while back but then I lost it all more. I lost it all no. <laughs> trading options I and I got down to $500 and I was so heartbroken for that week like I was so jaded Holy I was like in the corner like with a hoodie on like don't talk to me <laughs> so that was so sad and then guess what guess what I did what did you do I was like ah screw this stuff man I'm done gambling so I put it all into dogecoin and I deleted the app no I swear to you I swear to you and this is when <laughs> it was at four cents so then I mean it was only five hundred dollars at that time uh, mm -hmm. but it grew back into like 5,000 and I was like oh my god and then I got back into it mm -hmm. and last Monday I made ten thousand dollars in one day which is Ooh. enough yeah trade just looking at 
Wall Street bets and being like, okay, they're talking about this. I'm going to trade some options because, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like what you described with Elon Musk talking about it. Mm-hmm. Just trust the hype. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't look at any of the fundamentals. I'm just like, if people are buying it, it's going to go up. Mm-hmm. Just see what people are buying. Um, anyway, I did it and I'm done with the game. I officially paid off That's my it? student loans like an hour and a half ago. Jesus, congratulations. Off. I want to high five you right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. That's amazing news. I'm so happy for you. Thank um, you. Now, I remember when that happened to me where I think in one day, and that's a, I know for people are, who are listening to this are probably going to think, oh, like that's, that's not a loss. But I think I lost $500. And mm. it started by me like losing, I think, $50 from like mm. my entire investment. And I've never lost like from the capital before. Like I've lost my profits, but I've never mm-hmm. lost from the capital. And that scared me shitless. Of course. And so I started like, you know, selling and then buying and it would go lower. And then I would sell and buy again and it would go lower. And oh, I ended yes. up losing $500 that day. And when I tell you I went into depression, like yes. I was exactly, I was sitting in the I, corner. I told my mom and my dad, don't talk to me. My boyfriend, I'm like, don't text me. Yeah. Don't bother me. No, but like, I need my own space. And I was just like sad boy hours all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I had the same feeling. Like I lost like 2000. I got emotional and I kept doing it and I just kept losing. So and that's I, the worst part about losing is you try to get up and you lose more. And yep, you're yep. like, at one point, does it stop? Um, <laughs> yeah. But then I've also had days where one day I've just like made 5K and I'm like, that's like an entire month salary <laughs> absolutely like, that's yeah. that's pretty awesome you know um well that's pretty cool investing is such an interesting topic maybe we can have you another day and just talk <laughs> about investing um yeah. are you on clubhouse or twitter spaces <sighs> i'm not i've been seeing you tweet about them a lot um i never got into clubhouse i tried mm-hmm. <laughs> i never got an invite um <laughs> and i joined one twitter space because someone wanted me to speak Mm-hmm. It was a nice time. I just, uh, I feel like if I join a Twitter space, I'm pressured to talk, which is fine. Um, but I'm usually on it during work. Uh, like I'm usually consuming mm-hmm. like podcasts and stuff. So I have not had the time to really go into them. And wait, but you seem to be a big proponent of them. So I really want to hear from you why you are gassing <laughs> them up so much. Yeah. So I think my journey started on, uh, it did start on Clubhouse when I got an invite and it was still, it was not as early. I think it was like November or October where it was big enough that people, everyone wanted to be on it, but it still has not reached its full, like, you know, potential. It was still mm-hmm. not at the billion dollar valuation. And um, I went on it so hyped and I think the expectations was so high and I went on Clubhouse and immediately that expectation just dropped. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's one of the dangers of a app going v- as viral as Clubhouse and such a user case where you go so viral that everybody's expectation of mm-hmm. it is 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 up the roof. And for an MVP, like Clubhouse was an MVP. It was like a like a yeah. new product, you know, on the market. It was not like a mm-hmm. it, was, it was, you know, and the fact that it went viral that much, everybody was expecting so much of it. And I feel like by the time I joined the content has dropped mm. in, uh, in value a lot. And mm-hmm. I noticed that it was a lot of people selling things and mm-hmm. a lot of pyramid schemes and, you know, the influencer marketing. And to me, that diminished the value of Clubhouse 
right away. The content, the bad, the bad content was outweighing the good content. And I would find like for every one good room, there was like 10 to 20 bad rooms. Of right? course. And to me, that was, that was such a turnoff. And so I completely shut off Clubhouse for, I think, four months. And also like Clubhouse usability also dropped so much. I think it went from like, was it a couple of million? Um, oh, I saw Users this. or downloads yes. to 600,000 in, in two months. Yeah. And I think it was all because of the, you know, the hype. Everybody wanted to be on it. And then they went on it and their expectations immediately was like bombed. Um, mm. And then Twitter Spaces launched. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. And really, the thing that I loved about Twitter Spaces is the, the famous people that you follow are the mm -hmm. ones doing the, the, the Twitter Spaces. And you're only seeing the Twitter Spaces of those people. And so you would go on it and you know immediately that you're getting value. Because again, the only like it shows up on your fleet because they're people you follow. And so you're people who you value their opinion and people you know who are going to give you like very valuable insights. And so every single time I would go on a Twitter space, I would get a lot of valuable information and I would leave with a lot more than what I came in. And so mm -hmm. immediately that shift or that way of Twitter spaces in my head became a lot more valuable than Clubhouse. And so I started mm -hmm. talking shit about Clubhouse. <laughs> and then I, I, you know, I was just talking all the shit uh, because I didn't think that Clubhouse, again, had the value in terms of the content. And I really loved the the you know, the strategy of Twitter spaces and the fact that it was all in like Twitter already, like I'm already a Twitter user. I'm on there a lot more than Clubhouse. And the fact that I didn't have to go to another app, to me, that was a very big thing. But then mm. slowly, as soon as I got into like podcasting and the podcasting world, I started going back to Clubhouse and I realized that there are niche communities on Clubhouse that are very valuable example the, the the podcasting community mm -hmm. so that's when i'm starting to go back and get a little bit more hope for 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 clubhouse um, how, how do you find what spaces are valuable and which aren't um i think it's just based on the communities that you follow and the people you follow you have to be very careful because if you just go to the schedule you're just going to find all all mm -hmm. you know clubhouse good bad whatever um but if you follow specific I think clubs, that's what they call it. I'm not sure. But like, for example, there's like the pitch club, there's the startup club, the podcasting club, whatever it is. So if you join those clubs, then you know that the club, the, 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 the spaces or the rooms are going to be about that topic. And it's going to be, you know, almost credible people talking about that topic versus just, you know, freehand rooms of people just joining in and listening in. Um, gotcha. I also see that it's expanding in different markets like the Middle East. Um, I see a lot of a lot of Arabic rooms coming up. And um, my expectation or my projections or predictions for Clubhouse, it's not going to dominate North America. It's going to dominate other parts of the world. And other parts of the world, they're going to use it a lot more often because I don't think Twitter is a dominant in the Middle East or other countries. Mm -hmm. So I think Clubhouse has a very large advantage overseas than in North America. North America, I feel like Twitter is going to be the thing. And also Discord just launched its stages as well, beta. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of competition and I don't think Clubhouse meets the cut. Gotcha. No, yeah, this is really cool to hear about because I'd never hear anyone talking about this <laughs> thing. So I thought, I thought it was dead, so. Everybody thought it was dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> what other projects are you working on and what should we keep an eye out for? <laughs> there has been one that I've been working on for so long with one of my really good friends, but 
because we watched took off, I just haven't had much time to to pour into it. And mm-hmm. it is called Swap Reverse, where mm-hmm. you can swap books because I was going to a store and I bought some new books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't had time to read in a long time because of college. So once I graduated, I bought some. Mm-hmm. And I bought three books that came out to like 80 bucks. I was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. Because surely someone else who is also buying new books wants to read the books that I have. Mm-hmm. And surely I would want the books that they have. Mm-hmm. So I did some research. There is a site that does this already. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's called Paperback Swap. But honestly, it's a really shitty site. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can I curse on here? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been cursing the entire time. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, it's a really crappy site. And I was like, well, I'm just going to make my own. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be like re-implementing a barter system. Because mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that's useful. Sometimes people will find use about it. It'll help people like waste less books because mm-hmm. when I finish reading things, they just end up on the shelf. But I could just trade it away and get another brand new book in return. I'm um, a collector. So I've, I've uh, seen these yeah. models before, but I feel like people who read now physical books are people who collect these books. And I'm somebody, like even my mom, whenever she tells me, hey, let's donate these books, people are going to read them. You're not reading them again. Mm. I'm like no, nope. No, I need my that. library. <laughs> I need my library, and it's there's there's just something so satisfying about seeing like a physical shelf with all yeah. the books that you've read. I and hear you. Like looking at it and being like, all of that is in my brain right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hear so you. That that's the satisfaction that you've done that. It's I don't know. I just I love it, and the fact that I can always go back and pick a book and read like sections that I want to reread, um, mm. is very cool. And I noticed that there are specific books where every single time I reread it in a different life stage, God, I say in a different life stage, like I'm fucking 40, (laughs) but in a different life stage, I feel like it means something different. And Mm -hmm. I love that we, you know, reshifting of, of, of my thoughts or reshifting of my interpretation of the book. And I love that. That's very fair. Yeah. There are definitely some favorites that I would not get rid of. Mm -hmm. Um, same time, I think I bought too many. So <laughs> I would love to give some away. Uh, but I totally empathize mm-hmm. with that feeling. Um, tell us about your your podcast, Hacker's Pod. Hacker Pod, yeah. Me and April and Alter. She is mm-hmm. awesome. If you guys you should you guys should go follow her. Um, we run it and it's pretty chill. We're not really interviewing anyone. We're more so just sharing, like, oh, what's been going on with us? And mm-hmm. It really is more so to document our own journey so we can look back on and be like, what was I thinking at this time? And <laughs> how did that shape out? Like my first episode was like a week before I got 20,000 new users. I, I heard that. I heard the shift. <laughs> yeah. And the next one, I was like so hyped. I was like, oh, let's go. Like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the best in the world. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been really fun to document. Um, people really like listening. Uh, mm-hmm. They like keeping up with us, and yeah, it's been chill. Uh, awesome. April Lynn, yeah, April Lynn and I have both. She, I went on vacation, and then she went on vacation, so we haven't been able to record our fourth episode. But we're planning mm-hmm. to either tomorrow or the day after. So, nice. Do you yeah. have any plans for the show, or is it just going to be you know as uh, we, we go? We have so many updates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the structure of our show, we didn't have a structure, but we started to make one, which mm-hmm. is. Um, I'll share 
maximum three wins, maximum mm-hmm. three losses, mm-hmm. and like what I've learned from. Then she'll do that, and then we'll kind of just interview each other and see what we're thinking. Nice. And, yeah, we have a lot of wins because we have not spoken in a long time and a lot of <laughs> losses. So <laughs> I love that. And I, I remember hearing the first episode and there was almost despair in your voice uh, talking about <laughs> we watch and you were talking about, I don't know if we're going to make it, you know, competition. And then <laughs> I see someone else doing this. And you know what? I just I don't know how this is going to go. And then the next episode <laughs> you went viral and you're like, oh, my God. God, you know, yeah. I just I love that that shift of tone from like despair to hope. And it just, yeah. it's, I love it. Um, Absolutely. I think this is a great segue for our podcast sponsor for today. Um, Ucast is building a platform for podcasters and advertisers to find each other, launch CPM campaigns and manage them all in one platform. They have not launched yet, but they do have an active wait- waiting list that you can sign up for as well as a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for so go to ucastmedia.com today to register online or sign up for the beta again that is ucastmedia.com if you're a podcaster or an advertiser you should definitely check them out but now for the juicy questions um i love the <laughs> best almost the best at least for me till the end um and these could be a little bit personal um but what is your biggest fear my biggest fear, I um, I think everything I do is trying to like cultivate a non-hustle life where I can just mm-hmm. like enjoy things. Mm-hmm. So I think I would be terrified if I had to work until I died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mm-hmm. I like I enjoy doing things. It'd be fun doing something I enjoy, but like having to go to an office, having to wake up early, having mm-hmm. to do these meetings till the day I die. That is scary to me. Are you um, working full time? Is we watch your side hustle? Do you have a main main hustle? We watch is my side hustle, and mm-hmm. I am a full time software engineer at a tech consulting startup. Okay, and I noticed that a lot of Gen Zs, including myself and you, who have the same fear of the nine to five, and it seems like the nine to five has been almost shat on. Excuse my language. Um, by everybody but I feel like it's also like that that fear of working you know for the next 40 years and barely having a retirement savings and barely ever doing anything for yourself is 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 growing but I also noticed that it's creating a lot more scams and a lot more people are falling for that scam for those scams like pyramid schemes the whole influencer Mm -hmm. marketing um like people trying to it, it became less about innovation and how can I scrap money? And there's like the entire mm-hmm. like drop shipping courses, the Amazon selling courses, the, you know, Forex yeah. trading. And I just, I find that it's not that it's sad. It's just, there are people who genuinely think that they, that they can change their lives using it. And the way that they mark the people that market those services, they frame it in a way where you can like build your life and renew your life and, you know, travel and do everything you want. And then you end up just losing a lot of things. So what, what are your thoughts on these? They suck. They suck because yeah, everyone wants that. I mean, like the guy in the corner who's like, I will heal every problem you have. Of course I want to <laughs> believe them. So I have a lot of sympathy for those people who are, mm-hmm. you know, like, damn, man, I really want this. And mm-hmm. they go for it. And it, it's just so sad. Um, 
I, I don't know what the solution is to that. I think people are going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your yeah. advice to, because those are marketing or advertising campaigns playing on people's biggest fears, right? Mm-hmm. So what is your biggest advice for someone young who's listening right now and who wants to change their life or at least wants to get out of that nine to five cycle because they're not enjoying it? What is your biggest advice for them to do it at least the best way that they can? I I want to say, first of all, that you could do it. Second mm-hmm. of all, that if someone, there are so many supportive people out there who are trying mm-hmm. to do what we're doing. You and I talk on Twitter. I talk to a lot of people on Twitter. I'm sure mm-hmm. you do. And like, we don't charge for that. We're just like sharing our thoughts and advice and all trying to help each other. Mm-hmm. And so I would advise them that they can find people who are trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. and that they can work together and make it happen. Um, so yeah, they, they, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Find the people who are genuine <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah. What is your favorite method of people reaching out to you? Like, are you the person who find it disrespectful or rude if somebody goes right into the ask? Or would you like, would you want them to soften you up a little bit? Do you like, you know, straightforward, tell me what you're here for? What is your method? Um, I, I never take things disrespectfully. Um, maybe I should more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think like, if you get to the point, that's, uh, it's usually... It's not that I'm like, you're wasting my time. It's like, it's helpful for me to help you because mm-hmm. if you start a conversation with hi and you try to have like an hour long conversation, like, I don't know, I got a lot of people that are reaching out to me or like, I got my job, I got my side hustle, mm-hmm. I have my relationships, I'm like, have to maintain. I just don't really, like, I wanna help you. Like, just tell me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd say just ask for help. Um, there are some people I ignore though, and those people, they reach out to me and they say, hey, I'm building an app exactly like yours. Like, oh. what do I do? I'm like, oh. dude, come on, man. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> At least make it a little bit more subtle. Like ask them about the features or how you built it. Um, yeah. that's, that's actually pretty funny. Um, when, whenever I get those people who try to have a conversation with me, and even though I do have more time on my hands, I still don't like it because I know in mm. my head, like they they didn't reach out to have a conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They reached out because there's, there's uh, I hate calling it an ulterior motive because in the end, I also want to help. And I've also mm-hmm. had many conversations with people on Twitter who were asking me about pitch decks, about how I got started, how I got my funding, all of that. But the people who start with a conversation, I feel like not only, yeah, like you're not getting to the point and you're not letting me help you, but o- almost like you're trying to, cover up for what you really want and I'm like just be straightforward with me just tell me exactly what you want exactly what you need and if I can help you I will help you and I found that the most effective way absolutely and I found that there's a lot of those times when things start out as Mm -hmm. people just being straightforward and asking for help you can have like good conversations after and you you can reach out the next time yeah Yeah. and build out friendships yeah exactly awesome what what are some of your biggest traumas and how do you think that shaped your, shaped your entrepreneurship? <laughs> oh man. Okay. I got a lot of baggage. So <laughs> yeah, give it all to me. Come yeah. On. Let's see. My parents are, my parents are both addicts, both drug addicts. Um, and I lived with my mom for mm-hmm. like first 12 years. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, she just wasn't fit to take care of us. She mm-hmm. had six other kids um, and she got postpartum depression and it like, I wasn't being fed well, I wasn't being taken care of well. And so they, they like took me away. Um, we all separated and they moved me in with my dad. And I was like, guys, don't move me in with my dad. Like, that's not good either. But they did. Um, and, you know, they really tried. Like, I don't shame them. And I think they're like, they try to be good people, um, mm-hmm. but they just weren't fit to take care of me. Um, so then when I was 18, I uh, was applying to colleges and I got into the University of Chicago and I really wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And my dad really didn't want me to go. He's like, you got to get into like these Ivy League schools and you got to mm-hmm. go there. And I'm like, oh, but this school's really good too. Like, just give it a chance. And at that point, we had had just had so many bumps in our relationship for years that I uh, stopped talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I went to college on my own. Mm-hmm. I haven't spoken to any of my family in about five years now. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I ran away. I uh, did my thing. And honestly, I'm free. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels really mm-hmm. good. Uh, how I did know you it's- afford school and how did you like pay for that? Yeah, I was very lucky to get uh, very good financial aid. Um, nice. mm-hmm. I did have to like state my case and like prove it, which mm-hmm. was a two-year process. But I did. Um, it was hard, but got through it. I still had to take out some loans, um, mm-hmm. but luckily, nothing too bad. And I just paid them off. Um, I did also work two jobs throughout most of college at one point three. Um, yeah, I, I did it. I'm here and life is really good. So I'm very happy. Holy shit. <laughs> That's a story. Um, well, first of all, I'm really sorry that that happened to you uh, at a very young age. Um, but I also <laughs> know that your story is not the only story that's like that. A lot of kids go through that and are going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like they lose hope um, mm-hmm. midway and they don't think that they can amount to anything in the future. Um, so again, to anybody who's listening, what do you think, what is, what piece of advice would you give them to, to gain back that confidence and, you know, take matters into their own hand and free themselves from whatever is holding them back? Yeah, I would say that a lot of people who are going to give you advice mm-hmm. don't go through the same thing. Like they have, like a lot of my close friends, they have very nuclear families and mm-hmm. their parents are great. They're wonderful parents. And I'll be like, yeah, I stopped talking to my parents and they're like, what? How could you ever do that? Like, you got to reach out to them. You got to like mm-hmm. go talk to them to your parents. I'm like, oh man, you guys don't understand. Um, so I would say that if it, if it doesn't feel right to you to like hear what your friends are saying and it's, it's just not resonating with what your actual scenario is, go and find the communities who actually understand what you're going through and what you're talking about because they are out there. I personally didn't get too involved with them, but I know a lot of people who did, and it was very helpful for them. Um, And also that I want to let people know that it's totally possible because (laughs) I know when I was growing up, and I mean, maybe I was just an angsty high schooler slash middle schooler, but I was like, Mm -hmm. this is it. This is like the best it's ever going to get, and it's going to suck forever. And now if like little me saw me now, Mm -hmm. you'd be very happy. So (laughs) (laughs) it's possible. Keep going. You got this. Yeah, I I always think back to little me and like imagine having conversations with little me and like and like if only you could see 
yeah if only you could you know feel what you're feeling right now things would be very different and I think a lot of a lot of kids growing up go through that feeling and I have a 12 year old brother who right now is going through a lot of feelings right and I just sometimes I'm like just just imagine you know 20 year old self well like yeah imagine that person happy and imagine that person doing what they want to do and he's a mm-hmm. very smart kid like this this kid mm-hmm. learns photoshop like he codes he photoshops he does adobe <laughs> he vi- edits videos and i feel like that's just the normal skills for any 12 year old now and <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty awesome what what kids these days can do absolutely um no, but thank you for sharing that. That's 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 pretty cool. Um, my last question is, how can people reach you? And if somebody wants to, you know, talk to you or ask for help or whatever it is, what's the best way of getting yeah. to you? Follow me on Twitter. My DMs are open at underscore Joshua Fonseca. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll reach out to you as long as you're not asking how to copy me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask yeah. how to compete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel free to reach out. My DMs are open and I try to answer everyone that reaches out to me. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joshua, for coming on. What an amazing first guest. I'm very happy that uh, you were my first guest. Thank you. It was so fun. And you were <laughs> great at interviewing. You asked all the right questions. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to know that I did it right, or at yeah. least as right as it can be. Um, yes. But thank you again. And uh, yeah, I hope we can have you again soon on the podcast. Yeah, let me know. Let me know. I will definitely be coming back.